As you heard, my name is Matt Mosler, and I'm your pastor down at our Pine Bluff campus, and it is such a thrill and an honor to be back in the big house today. Uh, I, I just, I love this team. I love getting an opportunity to, to be with them and worship. Sometimes I get so caught up in, in the talent that's on this stage, and I just get caught up in worship that I forget that I'm supposed to come up here and speak. So worship was great. If y'all keep your expectations low, the rest of the service will go just fine, all right? So I remember Brandon sang that song, or at least the shadow of Brandon, sang this song <laughs> called, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Great is Thy Faithfulness. Y'all, God has been so good to us in Pine Bluff. And it's amazing to see all these little pieces that God is putting into place to bring about this revival in the Delta. And, and thank you for all of your help and all your prayers and all your support. Uh, before I get too far into this, I want to make sure that I give some praise and honor to my family. I love my family. I got a picture from, from Christmas time I want to show you. This is my, those are our Christmas jammies. So that's me and my wife up top right there. She had to come to Pine Bluff with me, but my son didn't. Uh, he's with the beard, and his wife is the blonde holding the most beautiful baby in the history of the planet. Uh, he actually moved to Pine Bluff and is running an ad agency down there. My daughter on the right moved down to Pine Bluff with us, and, and she's working at the hospital. The one on the left, we're still praying for. <laughs> she's, uh, no, she's, she's a, a, a joy. She's teaching in Nashville, Tennessee. So anyway, it's just, uh, God bless y'all. So good to be here. I, I want to I update you on a couple of things that's, that's going on in, in the bluff right now. A couple of exciting things that I want to share with you because we're all one big church family. Uh, yesterday, we officially launched the Pine Bluff Baseball League. Now... The, it's the PBBL, which kind of rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Uh, but they don't play a lot of youth sports in Pine Bluff anymore. Community has just sort of been attacked so much that there's nothing for these kids to do. There are baseball fields all over town. Pine Bluff, as some of you know, used to be the capital of baseball, and they just don't play youth sports in there anymore. And so we started a baseball league. We're going to start with eight teams, four t-ball teams, and then four coach pitch teams, and we're going to start playing ball in March, which is kind of cool. So we get this thing going. Now, the next thing I want to share with you is yesterday we also uh, dedicated our very first Home Again Pine Bluff house. Now, let me show you some pictures while I tell you a little bit more about this, this program. That's it right there. Uh, what we do at, this, at Home Again Pine Bluff is we take uh, old houses that are no longer on the tax rolls. They're dilapidated. They're worn down. They're, they're of no value. We tear them down to the studs, and then we rebuild them as brand new houses. And we offer them to families who have a desire to move out of poverty into self-sufficiency. So if you, if you get a job, we require you to have a job and then to begin to take classes. You have to take parenting classes and spiritual education classes and financial education classes. You'll go through this for a period of one, two, or three years. After that period, we will then sell you the house for half of its appraised value. So if you're willing to do the work, you can go from poverty to equity in about two or three years. But then we also take part of your rent payment. Don't clap yet. It gets better. And then we take part of your rent payment, $50 out of your rent, and we open a savings account in your name. And then we add incentives to that. So if your kids get perfect attendance, uh, if you volunteer in the community, if you take a leadership role or get a raise at work, we add to that savings account up to $100 a month. And because you're taking financial education, you now know how to uh, properly deal with your money. So now you have equity, you have a savings account. But then we also do three, we rebuild three or four or five houses on the same street. 
So we surround you with other people who are going to church, who are going to work, who are taking care of their families. You got inspiration, you got encouragement, you got motivation. If you can do all of that on one street, you've just changed the culture. So, yeah, we're, we're real excited about this. And when, when we talk about great is thy faithfulness, it is so cool to watch God putting the pieces into place to bring all this about. Now, now why are we doing this? It's a really good question. Uh, we're doing this because if we want revival to happen in Pine Bluff or we want revival to happen anywhere in our community, we need to have community. Because community is our secret weapon. Do y'all know that humans are the only species on the planet that when we are confronted with danger, we isolate ourselves? You know, birds flock together and, 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 and fish school together. And I, I remember this one pastor telling a story about one time he went on the safari to Africa and, and he gets on the safari and he sees a lion over here and he sees a bunch of zebra over here and he's thinking, it's about to get crazy. This lion's about to get off on some zebra. And the guide is over here and he looks and he says, notice the zebra. <laughs> and he said, yeah, what, what do you see? He said, I, I see dinner, all right? It's about to get crazy. He said, no. Notice the zebra are staggered. There was one standing here and one back and one up and one back. He says, to the lion, it looks like one big zebra because they were gathered together in community and the lion didn't attack them. You know, this is exactly the same thing that the early church did. I mean, look at this. Out of the book of Acts, it says, all of the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, they were in the word, but they were also devoted to fellowship they were devoted to sharing meals together, and they were devoted to prayer. So they read their Bible, and they prayed, but two of the four things that the early church did were relational. They were in community. This is why community is one of our core values as a church. We believe in developing life-giving relationships because we need community. And, and when danger occurs, we don't need to isolate. We need to congregate. We need to gather together. And in places like Pine Bluff, you can see that the enemy has had a field day because he has succeeded in getting us isolated. And when we're isolated, that's when he can pick us off. Now, a baseball league and a house may not seem very churchy to some people, but in our view, it's exactly what church is supposed to be. Because churches were never meant to isolate ourselves against the evil world. Churches were always designed to, to teach and to train and to empower and to motivate us to go into that evil world and influence that evil world. And that's why Jesus said, go ye therefore into all of the world and make disciples of all of the nations. He says, go into all of the world and make disciples of all of the nations. As we say in Pine Bluff, that's everybody. All right? And God created each and every one of us. He created everybody in this room right here with a purpose and a plan to impact our world around us. In other words, he created us to own our culture, to own our communities. Because until we get to heaven, this is where we live. This is our world, and we've got to impact it with all the gifts and the talents and the abilities and the treasure that we have. Can somebody say amen? Because this is why we're doing what we're doing. And one of the reasons that I love serving in a church like this, I love serving in New Life Church, is because the passion of our pastor is to do just this. 
So I want to give some, some honor to our pastor, Rick Bazette, for, for the example that he sets for all of us as pastors, because what he has done is he has helped to inspire and empower me and my family to move out of our nice little comfort zone and go down into the Delta to plant a church. So can we give some praise and honor to Pastor Rick this morning? I love that, brother. But I also want to take a few moments this morning to try to challenge you. And this is, you know, and y'all bear with me today, because... This is, I don't like it when people ask me, how are things going in Pine Bluff? Because I'm going to tell you, okay? So I, this, is, this is a challenging sermon. So I, as, as, as Seth said, I want you to lean into this because I want to challenge you guys to begin to think of stepping out of whatever comfortable place that you find yourself in and begin to think of ways that you too can own your school, can own your business, to own your community, to own your culture. All right? So I want you to open up your Bibles, and I want to show you a, a, a new twist on a very familiar passage. It's in Matthew chapter 5. So if you open up your Bibles and flip over to Matthew uh, chapter 5, this is the passage uh, in Scripture that theologians uh, say was where the Beatitudes took place. We've heard of the Beatitudes. Beatitudes really mean supreme blessings. Blessed are they, and blessed are they. And, and, and it's a very familiar passage, but I, I think if we dig a little deeper inside this passage... You know, it's really interesting. I think what we're going to find is Jesus actually challenging us to ownership. Now, let me give you a little background of, of Matthew chapter 5. The, the previous chapter, we see that at this time in Jesus' ministry, uh, he'd begun, uh, begun to attract some pretty good crowds. People had begun to follow him because when you start making blind people see and deaf people hear, you attract attention. So people are following Jesus. And, and one day as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he noticed that there's a really large crowd of people following him. So what he does is he, he walks up on this hillside and he sits down and he begins to teach. And he begins to teach what Bible people call the Sermon on the Mount. All right? Now I would imagine that when these people who have seen Jesus do these amazing things and say these amazing things and touch these, uh, these people and do all sorts of wonderful miracles, that when they see Jesus about to sit down and share some of this deep wisdom, that they got in a hurry to find a place to sit. They wanted to hear what this prophet had to say. But I got a question for you. Where did they sit? And with whom did they sit? Now I know that may sound kind of weird when you start talking about it. Who cares where they sit? Well, listen... I want to kind of help explain this by asking you a question. What would you do if you found yourself in a, in a foreign culture, in a foreign land? You know, maybe, it's, maybe you, you, you traveled to Rome or, or you traveled to, to Paris or you traveled to Baton Rouge, somewhere where you're surrounded by crazy foreign people with a crazy mindset. <laughs> you found yourself in, these, in this foreign culture, but then you see somebody with an Arkansas Razorback shirt on or, or Razorback hat. You know, you're in this foreign place and you see somebody that's got an Arkansas logo. Now, believe it or not, this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had an opportunity to, to check a bucket list item off. I, I got a chance to go to Argentina and dove hunt in Argentina and do some fly fishing. It was just one of the greatest trips I've ever been on. And when you go to Argentina and you shoot these dove, they, the, the organization provides you with what they call a bird boy. Right now, he's not a boy. I mean, he's a man. But what he does is, I mean, you shoot your birds, and then you stick your gun back, and he re reloads it, and you shoot them again, and he reloads, and he's just sitting there loading your gun for you. And then he goes and picks up your birds. It's a great way to hunt. All right. <laughs> so, so I'm out there, and we're we're shooting these birds, and and I and and when he's out there picking them up, he comes back, and I look down at his leg, and believe it or not, this is what I saw. <laughs> Are you kidding me? This is in Cordoba, Argentina. 
and this guy's got a razorback on his calf. Now, in full disclosure, he knew nothing about Arkansas. <laughs> he just liked to hog hunt, all right? And so he, so he put this razor. So we start talking razorbacks. He says, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? <laughs> well, ordinarily, if you were in this culture and you see somebody with an Arkansas logo on their clothes or on some body part, it's going to be a great conversation starter. Now, you might have nothing in common with this person, all right? You're a different race, you're a different religion, different politics, different interests. You've got nothing in common with this person, yet you become fast friends because of your common connection. And you choose to focus on the 1% that you have in common rather than the 99% of things that you don't have in common. And you become good friends. Well, then after a while, it's time to head back home. And so you both get on an airplane and you're flying home and something really weird happens. The closer you get to the familiar, the closer you get to home, the further apart you get. All right? And, and, and the closer you get to home, we begin to lose sight of the things that we do have in common, and we begin to focus on and make much of and be offended by the things we don't have in common. In other words, we tend to gather when we have a choice, we tend to gather with people just like us. And as Jesus sits on this hillside and he looks at this crowd and where they sat, I think he begins to notice this too because of the way that he begins to lay out the Beatitudes. I mean, let me show you. In, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says this. When, when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and opening his mouth, he begins to teach. And then notice what he does. He begins to look around this, this crowd, and he sees this group over here. And, and this group over here, these folks, they got nothing. I mean, you can tell by the way that they're dressed that they got nothing. They are embarrassed. They are desperate. They realize their great need for somebody to save them. And Jesus looks at this group and he says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he looks over this other group. And he sees this, this group over here. And you, could, you can see that they have lost someone or something very valuable. And, and, or maybe they've just been broken by life. And he says, Blessed are you who mourn, for you're going to be comforted. And over here, he sees this other group, and, and these, are, these guys are quiet. They are soft-spoken, or maybe they've been humbled in one way or another. Maybe their property has been taken away from them. And Jesus says, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And then he finds another group. And this group over here, they've been wrongfully accused. You know, they've been robbed. They've been cheated. You know, they're hungry for justice. And he looks over here and he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Can, can you see that? What he's, anybody see that? It's kind of neat. Well, here's where it makes a, a strange little twist. In the next verse, verse 7, maybe this group of people, they're standing in the back. And he says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The, the merciful. The merciful are people who are full of mercy. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. Mercy is, is for people who, who are leaders, who are owners, who are people with status and power, who have the ability to destroy others, to punish others, to take something away from others, but they don't. Instead, they show mercy. And Jesus says, that's what real power is. And because you've chosen to show mercy, you're going to receive mercy in return. 
And then he looks at another group standing in the back. And these are the, he calls them the pure in heart. They look at others with eyes of compassion and justice. They, they, see, others in, they see others in need the way God sees them. And, and he says, I'm going to bless that. And then this other group over here, he says, blessed are you who work for peace, not for division. You don't seek after your own interest. You're looking out for the interests of other people. You look for things that unite us rather than divide us. I'm going to bless that. And then finally, he looks at this last group, and these are people who have done the right thing, and they've paid the price for it. And he says, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven. You know, can you, can you see what I'm talking about? Can you kind of see the, what he's showing here? I mean, it's kind of a cool little Bible study, but so what? <laughs> who cares? What, what impact does that have on me and my life? And what in the world does it have to do with owning my culture? Well, after seeing this, after noticing these different groups, let me ask you a question. Where are you sitting? With whom are you sitting? Have you ever really noticed the people you're hanging around? Do they look like you? Do they act like you? Do they think like you? Do they all run in the same social circles? Now, I'm not trying to guilt you into hanging out with people that you don't like or who are just, you don't have anything in common with, because when you try to force that, it can get weird. But I think one of the things that Jesus is trying to show us in this passage by pointing this out, what he's driving at in the sermon is he is encouraging us to have our head on a swivel and look out for those people who mourn. Look out for those people who weep and who cry and who need some help. Understand, Jesus, Jesus had his posse too, Okay. He had his guys. He had his 12 disciples. He hung around with these 12 disciples a lot. And even inside those 12 guys, he had three guys, Peter, James, and John. And that was kind of his inner circle. The Bible says that he's also got other friends that he hung around with, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Bethany. And and if you read the Bible, he's in Bethany an awful lot, hanging around these people. We need these people in our lives. We need these buddies. We need these small groups. We need these inner circles. Jesus had them, but he wasn't exclusive to them. In fact, Jesus was so intentional about befriending the friendless, they ended up earning quite a bad reputation. They they said he was a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Because Jesus was, he was often eating dinner with Pharisees and touching people with leprosy and hanging around with broken people because this was his MO. This was why he came because we are all broken in one way or another, aren't we? And we could all use a touch from God. We could all use a real friend now and then. This is why Jesus said it's not the, not the healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But I want you to go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I don't want you to just put on a religious show. I want you to really show some compassion. Now, for the sake of clarity, Jesus hung around with sinners, but he didn't become one. Right? It's clear we understand this because there's got to be boundaries here. It's a balancing act. The Bible is really clear that if you hang around bad company, it's going to corrupt good morals. You need your life groups. You need your small groups. You need your buddies for, for you know, it's, it's, you, you need these guys to empower you and encourage you and motivate you so that you can go out and keep your head on a swivel, but don't get too far away from that life group. Don't get too far away from church. Because the enemy's sneaky, man. But where you are sitting matters. 
Here's another question for you. Why are you sitting there? Why are you sitting there? Because, you know, it's, it's natural, as I mentioned, for us to kind of gravitate toward the familiar. But it's also natural and a natural thing for us to be afraid of leaving the familiar. Have you guys ever seen somebody in trouble, but you were too afraid to help them? Little, little tentative to, to reach out. Maybe you saw a car stopped on the side of the road, or maybe you saw somebody crying and you didn't know whether or not you should intervene in their life. I mean, this happened to me a few years back. I used to work in morning television. For those of you who are new and, and are maybe new to Arkansas, I am kind of a big deal. <laughs> so I'm really famous. And, and I, I used to... I used to host this morning TV show, and I'd get up at 2, 2.30 in the morning, and, and sometimes I get up a little earlier, and I go to the Waffle House, because that's where you meet God. And so I'm sitting at the Waffle House, and I, and, I got my, and I got my Bible. I'm in the Waffle House, scattered, smothered, and covered in God's Word. It's just beautiful, right? So I'm reading this Word, and, 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 and all I can hear, uh, there's, there's two waitresses over there, and this one waitress has just got a potty mouth. And she is just effing this and s and that and just ripping it, right? And I'm trying to read the Bible. And she is just hammering, just... And it was just really... And I was really judging this potty mouth waitress. But then I looked over and there was this guy sitting at the counter and he was eating his, his dinner and all of a sudden he starts shaking. And he falls off his stool and has an epileptic seizure right there on the, on the floor. Well, I'm sitting here, Bible open, studying God's Word, looking at this guy writhing on the ground, and I'm just paralyzed. I don't know what to do. I know I should help him, but... Well, you know what the potty mouth waitress did? She jumped over the counter and grabbed this guy and cradled his head until he stopped shaking. Can anybody say conviction? All right? Listen... I know what it means to see somebody in need and be a little too afraid to step in to help. A little too afraid to take a chance. A little afraid to take a step of faith and reach out to a different culture. A little afraid to get out of my comfort zone and help a stranger. I know it can be scary, but it doesn't change the fact that that's what we're called to do. I mean, Jesus said, you didn't choose me. I'm the one who chose you. I picked you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you in other words god has called us all to impact our culture through our actions and he's given us the means and the power to do so now on that hillside as jesus is preaching and he looks out at this crowd there were really two groups of people that day they're, they're they're the groups that are poor this group over here they are poor they are mistreated they are hurt they are lost and then there were this other group of people that looked a lot more like me and you know it must have been really nice for the poor and the mistreated to hear that justice was on the way and I know that there are some people here who are poor and mistreated and mourning and broken. Justice is on the way. God sees you. He knows what you're going through. That has never changed. That was really encouraging for them to hear. But what was I supposed to hear? Because I'm not poor. I've, I haven't lost much. I've never really been mistreated. Now there was a there was a time early in my life when I was much younger. Believe it or not, you might find this hard to believe. I haven't always been this good looking. There was a time when I was younger that I was a little chunky, okay? 
I had to shop in the Husky department. Uh, and, and I was also a swimmer, and my name was Matt. And when you're like 8, 9, 10 years old, everything rhymes with Matt. So I became Fat Matt the Water Rat. All right. Hashtag. And now, after extensive therapy, uh, despite this heavy dose of persecution, I find myself more often in the position who has, as someone who has the ability to be a blessor rather than a blessee. And I think there's probably a few of those people in here too. And the prophet Isaiah says this, this is what we are to do as followers of God. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So the real, the real question for me over here is, what am I supposed to do? with my power and my position and my possessions. Well, as the Bible says, with great power comes great responsibility. Actually, that was Spider-Man, but Jesus said something really, <laughs> really similar in Luke 12. He said, y'all know, I spoke, I spoke at Conway last night and I said that and Bobby Hamilton, the front row said, yes, amen. <laughs> <laughs> But, but don't tell it. Cut the tape. So Jesus says something really... In Luke 12, he says, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more is going to be asked. Now, last February, I had an opportunity to go with several people from this church and some of our other churches. I had an opportunity to go to Israel, and it was amazing. And if you ever get a chance to go, you need to go. But one day, we were, we were in this area known as Gideon's Springs... And we learned about a man named Joshua Hankins. Now, I've never heard of Joshua Hankins. You may have never heard of Joshua Hankins. But apparently, Joshua Hankins was very successful at whatever Joshua Hankins did. Because what Joshua Hankins did with all of the money that he earned from his success is he bought the Valley of Megiddo and gave it to the Jews. The Valley of Megiddo, otherwise known as the Valley of Armageddon. It's this huge valley in the middle of Israel. He bought it, all the real estate, and gave it to Israel. I mean, he, he gave so liberally from his abundance to so liberally bless others. And I think that's what Jesus wanted the people in this crowd to see. And I think that's what he wants people in this crowd to see. Because heaven comes to us when we share. Heaven comes to us when we give, when we open, when we aid, when we forgive. Why are you sitting where you're sitting? And where are you sitting? These are good questions, but it brings me to a third question, and that is who... What difference does it make where I sit? Right? I mean, I, I, can, I can impact my cult. I can write checks. I can pray. And that's good stuff. Keep writing checks and keep praying. But for too many of us, that's a cop-out. Because wars are not won from the sky. We can, planes can bomb a target and soften it up. But if you want to win that war, you got to go door to door. And Christianity is dirty. Christianity gets messy. It's hard work, but it is so worth it. And I, I'm, I, I want you in Jesus' name to begin to have this mindset that I've got a purpose and a plan to impact my culture. In, in, in his book, The Hole in Our Gospel, the president of World Vision, a guy named Richard Stearns, reinterpreted Matthew 25. And, and this is how he rewrote Matthew 25 as a reflection of our current culture. He said this, I was hungry while you had all you needed. 
I was thirsty, but you drank bottled water. I was a stranger, and you wanted me deported. I needed clothes, but you needed more clothes. I was sick, and you pointed out all the behaviors that led to my sickness. I was in prison, and you said I was getting what I deserved. Can anybody else say, ouch? Because that hits me right where it hurts. Now, in this story, Matthew chapter 5, most of our Bibles sort of put things into segments. And, and this is where most of our Bibles say the Beatitudes end. But Jesus didn't end his sermon after verse 11. Because in verse 12, what he says is he begins, or verse 13 rather, he begins to remind us. And he looks at this crowd after pointing out all these groups. And then he says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You. And then in verse 16, he throws down the gauntlet. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Whose good works are they? Yours. As Christ followers, guys, we all have a job to do. And our job is for this group to help that group so that they can help the next group. And we all have, and that's not just the pastor's job. We all have a responsibility to impact our culture to be, by being a blessing to others just as we have been blessed. We all need to get back to focusing on that 1% that we have in common as opposed to the 99% that we don't. And you know what that 1% is? You know what the 1% is that we all have in common? We all need Jesus. That's why it's another one of our core values as a church, man. Everyone has a soul, and every soul matters to God. Both the poor, the mistreated, and the merciful. That's why NLC is in Pine Bluff. That's why our family moved there. That's why you are where you are. But guys, we've all got to own this vision. Because there's a lot of people out there that need to hear the freedom that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's my challenge to you. Where will you sit tomorrow? Let's pray.